It's time for Barreled Up by Ball Cap Sports. Here's your, here's your, here's your host, Jim Wiley. The MLB trade deadline is in the books, and we're going to go through it, talk about some winners, talk about some losers, go through what went down and what didn't go down. This is the Barreled Up Podcast. Welcome in, everybody. I'm your host, Jim Riley, and we're going to dig into this trade deadline. But first, I want to remind you to turn on those automatic downloads. want you to have the content as soon as it is posted to the feed. And the way to do that is to turn on the auto downloads. And remember, you can get this podcast wherever you get your pods, the Odyssey platform, and anywhere that podcasts are available. So this trade deadline, in my opinion, will forever be remembered as the Mets sell-off deadline. I don't think we will remember... Jimer Candelario to the Cubs. I don't think we'll even remember that the Cubs didn't sell on Cody Bellinger. I don't know if we'll remember that the Dodgers could not get Eduardo Rodriguez. I think when we look back at this trade deadline, two, three, four, five years down the road, what will be remembered unanimously is how the Mets blew up their 2023 plans by trading Max Scherzer to the Texas Rangers and trading Justin Verlander to the Houston Astros. They're two high-priced pitchers that were supposed to lead them to the promised land, gone. On top of it, some of their relievers, David Robertson, gone. We saw Tommy Pham, gone. Now, what also came out during the deadline, I don't know if you missed this, but if you weren't watching closely, you may have overlooked both Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander when the Mets were talking with them about their plants. We had a report from Bob Nightingale and a report from Ken Rosenthal that the Mets told both of them, these are two separate reports, two separate accounts, that the Mets told those players that their plans to compete again We're looking like 2025. This team in 2024, they themselves do not expect to compete at a high level for the division for World Series, which is mind-boggling considering this ownership, this GM, the direction, what they have told everybody is the direction. It's really quite surprising that that came out today. Listen, it's going to be fascinating to see how baseball moves forward now that there's sort of a formula for buying prospects, overpay for a talent, overplay, overpay for a pitcher, a hitter, and if it doesn't work out, then you, in your mind, you already expected to pay that out repurpose that money, trade that player, and bring in a highly touted prospect. The Mets did a good job with their trades, getting Luis Angel Acuna from the Rangers and then getting two sluggers that both were top 10, the number one Astros prospect, Drew Gilbert, and then a second prospect in that top five for Houston. You, Jim Callis said that he was going to update that Astros top 30 and have the two one-two back-to-back So they did a good job 
they got rave reviews for the players they got back, but it's not that. It's the fact that they blow it up. It's the fact that they're telling Verlander and Scherzer that they don't expect to compete, which is also a big red flag when you consider what that means for Shohei Otani. I think we all expected the Mets to be in on Otani, to make a run at him, to be one of the teams that are going to be mentioned with him throughout this upcoming offseason. But based on what they're telling Verlander and Scherzer, you got to think that they don't view that as a realistic possibility. Will they try to get Otani? Sure. But you have to think, if they're telling Verlander and Scherzer, we are not going to be competing in 2024, so you, you need to move on. It's the best thing for you. That tells you that they don't think that they have a shot at signing Shohei Otani. And we are talking July of 2023, August of 2023. That's where the Mets are at. And we're still months away from free agency, months away from those attempted negotiations to get Otani away from the Angels. And we don't even know if the Angels are going to make the playoffs and Otani's going to have a shot. That sort of pivots us to the next point. The Angels had a great trade deadline. Had an absolutely great trade deadline. Jumped on Lucas Giolito early so you didn't have to worry about any late last-minute opportunities. Get ahead of a market that might pick up pace as pieces come off the board. They go out and grab one of the early pieces with Lucas Giolito. Then they... After hearing that Taylor Ward's going to miss some considerable time, they go out there and they trade for C.J. Crone and they trade for Randall Gritchick. So the Angels, and, and there were certainly other moves. Those are the ones that I'm, I'm focusing on right now. The Angels had a very nice trade deadline, one that I, I, I keep making the point. If you're going to miss the playoffs, you have no shot at re-signing Shohei Otani. He's not going to have any interest in coming back to your club. However, if you go down swinging, if you at least show Otani that you can make moves, add key pieces to improve your club, you at least have a shot. And maybe these pieces will get the job done and they will make the postseason and everything will be fine and moon and it won't matter. But... Good job by the Angels for being aggressive to go out and prove to Shohei Otani that we can go and make the moves. We can add the pieces to give ourselves the chance. And in their first game, Gritchick and Crone were big contributors to the Angels beating the Braves on Monday night. So that looks great. If you're the Angels, if you're Shohei Otani, you have to love that. The Angels definitely come out as one of the winners, in my opinion, Yes, the pieces that they brought in, I liked. But also, the fact that you are proving to Shohei Otani what you can do, how you can add to this team. So I like what the Angels did. I also like what their division rival did. I really like what the Rangers did. The Rangers, ha Rangers have a bad week. They get swept by the San Diego Padres. All in all, 
a poor week last week heading into the deadline. So what do they do? They execute the trade with the Texas Rangers to bring in Max Scherzer, and then they make the trade with the St. Louis Cardinals for Jordan Montgomery. They also added Chris Stratton to the equation as well, as we knew they were going to add bullpen help. And this is all in addition to the trades that they made earlier in the deadline, bringing in Aroldis Chapman. We saw them on deadline day rather quiet. The only moves that we saw on deadline day for the Rangers was Austin Hedges coming in. That's a nice defensive first catcher for the Rangers. And they traded Spencer Howard out, sending him to the Yankees for some cash. So on deadline day, the Rangers were rather quiet. It was all of the buildup prior to. But the Rangers showed you that they are in World Series or bust mode. When Seager comes back, when Jonah Heim comes back, this offense is the best offense in Major League Baseball, or at least one of the best offenses in Major League Baseball. So you needed the pitching to support that. Nate Evaldi had just been placed on the IL, so you needed to replace him. You went through a week. Rangers fans saw poor outings from everybody because Martin Perez isn't getting the job done. Andrew Haney's getting not getting the job done. John Gray, even though for the most part this year he's been good, he's gonna he's gonna sputter. You cannot rely on John Gray, so they are not going to rely on John Gray. Bringing in Montgomery, bringing in uh, bringing in Max Scherzer, two really nice moves. It cost them a lot. It definitely cost them a lot to get those players, but what you got is a good job. And we can focus on the Cardinals, the other team in that Jordan Montgomery trade. The Cardinals trading Montgomery and Chris Stratton to the Rangers for John King, Tako Roby, and Thomas Segesi. Good job by the Cardinals. The Cardinals, for the most part, in their return packages, got good reviews for what they did and what they were trying to do was rebuild this team so that they have some pitching down the road. And that's really was the focus. Even the trade on deadline day with the Orioles, Jack Flaherty sort of in the last half hour, the deal went down. They bring in two pitchers in that trade, Drew Rom and Zach Showalter coming over. So two pitchers. They also got Cesar Prieto. So you had three players for Jack Flaherty, two of them pitchers. Good job. The trade earlier in the day on deadline day for the Cardinals, Paul DeYoung going to the Blue Jays. The third trade of this deadline between the Cardinals and the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays kept getting home from the store and realized they forgot something, had to keep getting in the car, go back to the store. They get Henesis Cabrera. They get home. Oh, shoot. I forgot something. They got to get back in the car, head back to the store. They get Jordan Hicks. They get home. Oh, shoot. I forgot something. Got to go back to the store. They go and they get Paul DeYoung. They kept going to the well, and the well kept paying off. They get Paul DeYoung in cash. Matt Svensson. Svonson, I'm sorry. Going to the Cardinals. Matt Svonson had been pitching quite well down at the minor league level. So you get another pitcher for Paul DeYoung. So we see DeYoung and Flaherty on deadline day, but a ton leading up to it. That second Toronto Blue Jays trade, which saw Jordan Hicks going to Toronto, which good job by Toronto. 
You get Adam Klopfenstein. You get Sam Robursa. That's good. Those are two pitchers, both in double-A. Both could fit into your rotation next season. Klopfenstein's having a good year at double-A, too. Sam Robursa, not as good as Klopfenstein, but Robursa is the higher-touted prospect in the system. I think if you redo that uh, Blue Jays top 30, if you had redone it right before the deadline, I think Klopfenstein would have been there, at least on MLB.com. Baseball America had Klopfenstein 18th. So you saw a... Another trade for the Cardinals, gearing up on starting pitching, Klopfenstein and Robursa. Again, we talked about the trade for Jordan Montgomery, bringing in pitcher to Roby. I think you had a nice piece there. And Sagasi looks like he's a hitter. So good job by the Cardinals. Everything they did, I liked what they did. I thought they could have done more is the only element here. I'm surprised they did not deal Tyler O'Neill. Did not mean to rhyme there. But I really thought we were going to see a Tyler O'Neill trade. I did not think you would see a Dylan Carlson trade. His name had really been thrown around for a while. But it just didn't feel like the right time to trade Dylan Carlson. He is a failure to launch sort of player. And you're not going to want to bring back somebody else's failure to launch prospect. But still, there are other people. You you, you could have traded Tyler O'Neill. You could have traded Drew Verhagen. You could have traded Steven Matz. There was talk about that. And, and with the starting pitching market the way it was, I'm surprised they did not find a taker for Steven Matz. I think St. Louis probably loved to get out from underneath that contract. But with Tyler O'Neill, there is another year of control there, so maybe the asking price is just too high, but it seems like Tyler O'Neill's fallen out of favor in St. Louis. And you've also got a team that's, I mean, look, the lineup is the way it is. Let, let's try to turn one of an area where you have a wealth of depth. Why don't we try to turn that into something that can help you in other areas? The outfield, you've got Lars Newbar, you've got Tyler O'Neill, you've got Jordan Walker, Dylan Carlson, Alec Burleson, you've got Brendan Donovan can slide into the outfield. There's a lot of options for the St. Louis Cardinals, for those outfield spots, for those DH spots. You could see dealing one of them and getting some more pitching back because that is what this team is going to need. They have proven that they can hit this year. They can hit with the best of them. Top 10 team when we look at what they've done offensively, but their pitching is bottom five. That needed to be focused. I would have liked to have trade, traded one of those players because with Burleson, Carlson, Walker, O'Neal, and Newt Barr, somebody's sitting. And again, you've also got Brendan Donovan can slide into the outfield, primarily an infielder, but right now that infield is rather full as well. So that is the situation in St. Louis. Thinking about the the pieces they did get back, I like it. I do think that the Cardinals ultimately did a good job. A, the trade partner, a lot of these trades that the Cardinals pulled off was with the Toronto Blue Jays. Henesis Cabrera, who since coming over, has looked really good. 
You have Hennessy's Cabrera. Now Jordan Hicks fits in, and they needed to go get Jordan Hicks after Jordan Romano went on the IL, fits a or, or, or fills a need. And then after the Bo Bichette scare, Paul DeYoung was a nice addition, and there had been rumors about the Blue Jays looking for a righty bat. Even though Paul DeYoung's an infielder, and again, it had been an outfielder that the Blue Jays had been rumored with, even though it's an infielder that they get, it still benefits the outfield because when you get Bo Bichette back, you can have a middle infield of Paul DeYoung and Bo Bichette. Whit Merrifield moves to the outfield and plays eight games out of ten in left field now. Instead of splitting his time playing more games at second. So this does help the outfield because of Whit Merrifield's versatility. So the Blue Jays do a good job addressing their needs. They don't go overboard. There have been rumors about Teoscar Hernandez. That didn't happen. I feel like the Teoscar Hernandez Blue Jays reunion may have been fueled to get the Paul DeYoung deal done because on deadline day, you had a Teoscar Hernandez Blue Jays rumor that had gained momentum and had been going since the night before, and it was picking up steam. It seemed hot and heavy again until the Paul DeYoung trade. And as soon as the Paul DeYoung trade was finalized, you heard nothing about Teoscar Hernandez the rest of the day until the trade deadline was over and we heard that Teoscar Hernandez was not getting traded. It was crazy to even see the Seattle Mariners dangling the number of players that they were considering the fact that they are in position to make a run for a wildcard spot. They're only a half game as of recording behind the Angels and the Angels are going all in. They are three and a half games out of the final wildcard spot. In the end, they deal Paul Seawolf. That's it. They did not deal Teoscar Hernandez. They did not deal Ty France. I still have a feeling that if they had dealt Teoscar Hernandez, they would have hit the brakes and Ty France would not have gone anywhere because the Seattle team, even without Paul Seawolf, they can still compete for the final wildcard spot. The Seattle Mariners are going to be interesting to watch as we continue to move on. But we're 17 minutes in, and I've almost buried the big news from deadline day, and that was Justin Verlander. We talked about it a little bit earlier, but let's talk about the Houston Astros and their get for Justin Verlander. This is a rotation that had taken some lumps, taken some hits. Luis Garcia went down. You learned that Lance McCullers was not going to be coming back. So this club needed to address pitching. There had been rumors about Verlander with Houston, the Dodgers, the Padres, the Blue Jays, a handful of teams. The Orioles getting in on Justin Verlander. It was was out of control. And in the end, he goes to Houston For Drew Gilbert, Drew Gilbert goes to the Mets, the number one prospect, and Ryan Clifford. Ryan Clifford was the number four. And again, Ryan Callis said when he redid the rankings, Ryan Clifford was going to be number two. So a good return for the Mets in this trade, and the Astros get a ton of money. A ton of money to cover the Verlander contract. In the end, I think the Astros pay, uh, I think I think if I remember off the top of my head, it's like $15 million about, give or take a few million. 
for Justin Verlander for the rest of this year, for next year, and if the vesting option kicks in a third year. He's back in Houston after a little, you know, off-ramp exit in Queens. He is back in Houston, and they needed to make this move. Houston, this was probably the move. Didn't see an Eduardo Rodriguez. I I thought Stroman, if Stroman was available, could have gone there. But you add Verlander to the rotation with Valdez. The Astros have a 1-2 combo. You head into any series against any team. You feel good about that. Christian Javier slides to the number three spot. He's been a little up and down this year. Some of his metrics are not as good as we've seen in the past. But Christian Javier now is three. And what this does... On top of all of that that we've just talked about, and Jose Arquiti's right around the corner from returning, it takes pressure off of Hunter Brown and J.P. France, them having to pitch a lot of important, high-leverage, crucial innings in the playoffs. If you entered the postseason without Verlander, you have Valdez, you have Javier, you have Brown, you have France, you have Arquiti, you could see Brown and France cutting their playoff teeth. Now, eventually, they're going to have to anyway. Eventually, you're going to have to feel comfortable to rely on Hunter Brown and J.P. France in the postseason because Hunter Brown's 24 years old, J.P. France is 28. You would you would hope, you would expect that they will fit into the future of this team as they continue to year in and year out go for the World Series. They're going to have to step up. But for this year, when there is an option like Justin Verlander out there, that's what the Astros are going for. I think it is a good play at the end of the day. The Astros also adding Kendall Graveman, not on deadline day, but leading up to the deadline. So they bolstered their bullpen as well. Houston adding to the pitching. They have seen it year in and year out. You're dead in the water if you cannot pitch in the postseason. And they went out and they just got a lot better when it comes to their rotation here as we head into a playoff push. More moves from deadline day. We saw the Atlanta Braves make their final move. Brad Hand, Braves really focused on the bullpen at this trade deadline. That is going to pay off. Similarly to Houston, they know you better be able to pitch to get through the postseason, get through these long, rigorous series that you're going to have to be playing. So we saw Atlanta add Brad Hand. We saw Tampa add some more relievers. Day before, on the 31st, we saw them add Aaron Savali, which is a great addition. Savali had been pitching masterfully for Cleveland in the month of July. Now he comes over to Tampa. We saw San Diego make some and make an interesting move. San Diego buying. We heard all that. We got all that. In the end, San Diego comes out of this trade deadline not adding any sort of impact big-time player. They added guys that I like to consider and I'll call the foundational glue guys these are the players that I want on my team if I'm already 20 games over 500 and I want to make sure I have every 
I dotted and T crossed. I'm going to grab an extra starter, an extra infielder with playoff experience. I'm going to add another reliever. I'm going to add another bat here and there. That's what I'm doing. The Padres did that, and the Padres currently sit, as of recording, three games below 500, coming off a loss to the Rockies. We'll see what happens on Tuesday night as I record this. But the San Diego Padres started the day with a trade for G-Man Choi and Rich Hill. Rich Hill, G-Man Choi heading to San Diego. Several hours go by. And it almost seemed like that was going to be it for San Diego. Those two pieces. But right as the deadline started to wind down, we got Ryan Weathers going to Miami for Garrett Cooper. So they give up on Ryan Weathers. Could be an interesting pitcher. I think that's very interesting to see how Ryan Weathers' career tracks now that he's in Miami. uh, a, a, A team that is known for handling young pitching really well. But Garrett Cooper goes over to San Diego. That's that's a nice ad. But again, what are you really counting on him to do? They also get Scott Barlow. We had been waiting for Scott Barlow to be traded. Scott Barlow goes to San Diego. That was one of the last trades announced. So we see San Diego make these moves. Gave up some nice pieces. Jackson Wolf is a good piece. Going to Pittsburgh. Great job by Pittsburgh, by the way. We'll talk about Pittsburgh in just a moment. Let's, let's, let's finish up on San Diego. So this team, I guess you have to look at it like this. By not selling Hader, Snell, and Soto, are, are, are we? do we have to look at those as almost additions by not subtractions? And then we're adding these other pieces in? We'll see what San Diego can do, but what they could have gotten for Hader, I understand. I think you could have. I think I'm on record. You could have dealt Hader and not impacted your playoff chances significantly. Maybe one game. I think you could have dealt Hader. Snell, I understand if you want to hold on to him. Soto, I obviously understand why you want to hold on to him, but I think you could have moved on from Hader and gotten a ton in return. Maybe you even could have gotten something more impactful than what they actually got with their moves. And again, we talked about the Pittsburgh Pirates, the team that they executed their first trade of the day. The Pittsburgh Pirates ultimately did a very nice job this trade deadline. Last offseason, they went out and they signed to short-term deals Players that had veteran experience that if the team was going to surprise and win more games than you expected, you would point to the fact that they brought in Carlos Santana, G-Man Choi, Rich Hill, and others. They did not win enough games to hold on to any of these players, so they deal Rich Hill away, G-Man Choi away, Austin Hedges. We saw... Rodolfo Castro, that was a surprising one, but they bring Bailey Falter. Maybe they can fix Bailey Falter. They trade Austin Hedges away. They moved on from a lot of pieces, and the Milwaukee trade for Johnny Severino, I love. Young kid, 19 years old, 18, 19 years old, that profiles to add power as he gets older and fills out for Carlos Santana. Yes, sign me up for that every day. 
And again, Hill and Choi getting one of San Diego's top 15 prospects, Jackson Wolf, for Hedges and Choi. Yes, sign me up all day. Good job by the Pittsburgh Pirates turning these short-term contracts into pieces that they could try to build a future of winning around. We also saw as the day went on, Michael Lorenzen found a home in Philadelphia for How You Lee. That was the Phillies' number five prospect. So they paid a premium for Michael Lorenzen, but now that Phillies rotation bolstered looks pretty good. Interesting trade. Around the middle of the day, the Brewers and the Diamondbacks traded relievers. Arizona and Milwaukee could find themselves fighting for the final wildcard spot. And if that's the case, do you think Arizona might wish they still had Andrew Chafin? Unless they think he's cooked. That was an interesting one to see two teams in the same league, in the National League, that could be fighting each other for a playoff spot, pulling off a trade. There'll be endless amounts of second-guessing that can go on if we go down the road, and, and that's what ends up happening. We saw Tommy Pham going to Arizona. We saw the Yankees. The only thing the Yankees did at this deadline, after all of the rumors of buying, going for Lucas Giolito or Cody Bellinger, well, Cody Bellinger was pulled off the market. So what do you do when Bellinger gets pulled off the market? I guess you sit on your hands. I know Yankees fans are not happy with Cashman today. Kenyon Middleton, that was it. Middleton, okay, you're bolstering your bullpen, but this team had greater needs. They were not addressed. How you move forward is going to be a sight to see in New York. They get one move done. It's a bad job. I don't think you can sit on the fence. If you think you're good enough to not sell, rumor had come out the night before that the Yankees were listening on their free agents. So that gives you an idea of where their mindset was. If you decide that you're not trading Harrison Bader, you're not trading Wandy Peralta, you're not trading Isaiah Kanafalefa, then you need to buy more than Kenyon Middleton. And that is not something that happened. This Yankees team is set up for failure the rest of the way. I don't know who eats it. I don't know whose head the gauntlet drops on. But not a good look for the New York Yankees at this deadline. Kenya Middleton, the only thing, and it came in last minute. Also, last minute, the Baltimore Orioles bringing in Jack Flaherty. I think the Baltimore Orioles had such higher potential at this trade deadline. I believe that with the right pitching staff, this Orioles team could make a run to win the World Series. But they don't have that. Even after trading for Jack Flaherty. The Jack Flaherty trade raises the floor, not the ceiling. And that's the problem. The Orioles needed to raise the ceiling, and they did not do that. There was rumors right up to the deadline, 10 minutes, that Dylan Cease could get traded. Dylan Cease could get traded. It was either Bob Nightingale or Ken Rosenthal puts it out there. Watch out. This could go down. Dodgers, Orioles are the favorites if Dylan Cease gets traded. That raises your ceiling if you're the Baltimore Orioles. It doesn't go down. Literally 30 seconds later, Ken Rosenthal tweets that the Orioles are trading for Jack Flaherty, which pretty much squashed 
any chances of a Dylan Cease trade. Though there were glimmers of hope that maybe they could go get both. That's not what happens. They give up three prospects for Flaherty. So good job by the Cardinals yet again. Flaherty, unfortunately, is just going to be more of what the Orioles already have. And that's a problem. So they did not get better. They did not raise the ceiling. That could hurt them. I hope Jack Flaherty comes in and he's motivated and they work with him and they say, hey, why don't you do this with that? Similar to what they did with Yenier Cano. But for the most part, this Orioles team, pitching has been an enigma for them. D.L. Hall is the latest excuse. I really thought D.L. Hall could move. I felt like that was the Orioles trade chip because he's been called up a couple times and he has not worked out, yet he's still a top 10 prospect by MLB standards. So I felt like you could have traded D.L. Hall to get out from under there because maybe he's a mess. They don't do that. They hold on to D.L. Hall and we're going to move forward now and we're going to see how this works. We'll see. Also, one of the last minute trades, Miami... Got Josh Bell from Cleveland sending Gene Segura. That did not work. It did. So he's off to Cleveland. And Khalil Watson. Khalil Watson is an interesting one. That's a prospect I'm very enticed by. I think that Cleveland did a good job there. Cleveland ultimately trying to grab some bats that they can build around with Khalil Watson and the trade with Tampa uh, where they brought on one of their sluggers. And hey, look, this is a... This is a Cleveland team that has absolutely no pop. And they've got to try to find it somewhere. So they'll do it with Watson, Cleveland will, and the player that uh, that they got over from Tampa, Kyle Manzardo. Those are the two that they're going to try with. Josh Bell, was it working? Move them on. Good job. Miami, aggressive at the deadline, trying to make some splash. Kim Ang had said they want to do something. They have to do something. They're going for it. They're going for a playoff run. They have, they're holding on to Jorge Soler. They just got Jazz Chisholm back. You're going to make these trades on deadline day. Bringing in Josh Bell, bringing in Ryan Weathers, a couple of nice moves, bringing in Jake Berger. So Miami, now while these are not highlight, name in lights, spotlight guys, they're guys, and they can make a move. And that is, of course, in addition to the David Robertson trade that they executed a few days before. Good job by Miami. They also bolstered the bullpen with the trade for Jorge Lopez. So Miami, very active. Good job by Miami at the deadline as they get some moves done. And then there's the Dodgers. What a mess it was for the Dodgers at the deadline. So many expectations, a need for pitching that was extreme. They had made some deals a few days before leading up to the deadline bringing in Joe Kelly, bringing in Lance Lynn, Ahmed Rosario, sending out Trace Thompson and some prospects. They also traded for Kike Hernandez. They brought him back. So they were active. But on deadline day, the goal was a marquee starting pitcher. And they 
will move forward with Lance Lynn and Ryan Yarbrough as their two starting pitcher additions because Eduardo Rodriguez said no. Eduardo Rodriguez would rather lose in Detroit and raise his value for this upcoming free agency 0% than go to the Dodgers and pitch for a team contending for the World Series, log crucial high leverage postseason innings. He would rather skip on that and stay in Detroit so that he's closer to the East Coast, closer to family. He does understand that it's only a couple of months, right? And Southern California in October is a good place to be. I think a huge mistake. And he had the no-trade clause. The Dodgers were on the no-trade, so he could veto it. But the Dodgers are unable to get that deal done. Word was from Jeff Passan they had a deal in place, but Eduardo Rodriguez said no. Erod's going to get booed next time he pitches in L.A. That's almost a guarantee. So Eduardo Rodriguez says no, and that ends up burning Detroit because they are unable to move. So two teams, hand-in-hand, get burned by Eduardo Rodriguez. The Tigers were unable to. Now, I'll say this. Some that want to defend the Detroit Tigers. Here's the thing. You mean th- There were so many teams interested in starting pitching. You couldn't find somebody else because holding on to Eduardo Rodriguez does you nothing. You need to trade him. Cincinnati's right around the corner, geographically speaking. You couldn't find Cincinnati. They wanted him. Call Cincinnati. The high asking price that Detroit was sitting on was short-sighted. It was a mistake. You couldn't have found a trade with the Reds. You couldn't have found a trade with the Baltimore Orioles. I know you could have. So that was a huge mistake by the Detroit Tigers to not be able to pivot. That Dodgers news came out with enough time to still try to get something done. I want to say at least two hours. And you know that there had already been conversations. That's not how it works. There's no way that it was only the Dodgers talking to the Tigers about Erod. So kick up some of those old discussions and get Erod out of Detroit. It's a huge mistake by the Detroit Tigers. It ends up being a failure by the LA Dodgers that it got to where Eduardo Rodriguez was the last guy standing. They had been linked to Lucas Giolito. They did not get Lucas Giolito. They did not have an opportunity, Marcus Stroman, because they held on to Stroman. Michael Lorenzen's asking price was climbing. Jack Flaherty ended up going to the Baltimore Orioles. The Detroit Tigers came out of this deadline with Lance Lynn and Ryan Yarbrough. And I even had thrown out that once these pieces come off the board, there's going to be a name, there's going to be a starting pitcher traded that no one's thinking about, no one's talking about. It ended up being Ryan Yarbrough, though you could see the path to a trade for Ryan Yarbrough. Nobody had him get moved. He ends up going to the Dodgers, and that is what they got. I must correct myself. The Yankees got Kenya Middleton and Spencer Howard. I think earlier I said that that was the only move that the Yankees did was Middleton. They also got Spencer Howard for cash considerations. So let me correct myself there. That's the trade deadline for 2023. I think that it had its moments where it was living up to the hype. 
We saw players dealt that two weeks before. We did not really see it going down this road. We did not see the Verlander and the Scherzer. Adding them into the player pool of everyone that was dealt, this was a pretty big trade deadline. There's a lot about what teams didn't do. There's a lot of what teams did that we'll be talking about for a while. But again, in the end, I think this will be remembered as the Mets trade deadline. That is what we will remember. The sell-off of Verlander and Scherzer buying prospects. Does this set a new precedent for what you can do if you overpay for somebody and it's not working out? You want to get rid of them. Just turn that money that you were going to spend on the player and spend it on essentially on a prospect. We'll see what that does as we move forward that is going to do it for this one everybody i do appreciate you stopping by the podcast if you have not yet make sure to subscribe and turn those automatic downloads on so you get the content as soon as it is posted to the feed stay tuned to the pod because we will have more content i am going to be doing a winners and losers grades some kind of hybridy between the two of them, video on YouTube, we will be bringing that to the podcast here. And we've got some guests lined up as well. So make sure you have those alerts turned on. Do me a favor and rate, review, all of those great things to help us grow the podcast. Again, guys, thank you for listening. You made it all the way to the end. So you're still listening to me talk. I appreciate you for that. Thank you guys for coming in, supporting the podcast, listening. Stay tuned. More great content coming up, everybody. I'll catch you next time.